Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Chasing Birdies, and uh, it's a good one. Chasing Birdies. Uh-huh. Here we are. It's my boy JP. What's shaking, buddy? Oh, nothing. Uh, leaving for the big smoke today at Pete Dye Golf Club. Not a big deal. And then um, the Ryder Cup Day 1 uh, starts right now, so we're recording this a little earlier. Uh, we're both out of town next week, but we wanted to give you... Uh, what you were expecting on Thursday, and uh-huh. that's podcast. And um, Shep, how about Shep, dude? What dude, a beauty! That was great. He, you know, that's awesome, man. I mean, I think uh, it was a great show, and gonna get some golf lined up. Yep, uh, with the boy. Yep. he's coming in in the spring to mm-hmm. play a little golf. And uh, how's your golf game, bud? How how was Pronghorn? Oh, dude, me and Peering went did out. You to win? Prong- did we win? But. Listen. All right, peering. So there you go. Another another he, needle in haystack type I, thing. I played the worst golf that I could have played. And I'm tired of saying that, but I did. I played bad. And peering played just equally as bad. So, you know, we got beat 16-2 to two our first match, and that was pretty much all she wrote from there on out. But overall, it was a great, great time. Had a lot of fun. Met some good new people. Saw some of the same folks from California that I see every year. They're great guys. Uh, Debo, Casey, and everyone's loving the podcast, bud. I mean, I've gotten so, so many people come up to me and say, hey, are you the podcast guy? And I'm like, yeah, I'm one of them. Do you have to sign any golf balls for kids? Or no, yeah. no, there weren't any kids. There weren't any wives around. So luckily I was I was safe. But no, but I'm looking forward to getting out there today, playing with the old buddy B-Cats in his event. The, the big, big question smoke. is, are you going to be able to get him to stay off his phone and, and focus? Probably not. Um, I think I'm going to have music going so i'll make sure he puts his phone away yeah um, but uh yeah that's all right bud a little loud noise there but how about you any good golf no nope. anything no nope. played uh played twice in the last two weeks went and played laurel valley it, uh it that that was awesome i know that you're playing there mm-hmm. coming, the, up. And, and coming up soon and, and the course is in fabulous shape so and then we're we're gonna be at nemecolon here in october with some special guests yeah, dude, that's going to be great. And, uh, you know, what's cool about this thing is I think we're going to be able to incorporate some video of this uh, actual podcast recording. Um, so that's going to be coming to you guys next month or maybe in two months whenever we drop the episode from Nemecolon on the 11th of October. But uh, And thank you again uh, to Nemecolon for, for sticking behind us. Uh, again, I know I keep saying this, but the golf courses are fabulous right now. Fall, there's not a better time. Not a better time, man. At, than fall. Um, and speaking of Nemecolon, we had uh, our guest who's on today's episode, Mr. Neil Walker. We had him at Nemecolon, and we played a couple rounds of golf. Maybe you folks even got onto our social media handles and saw the video of us playing this two-man, me and Pep versus him and Tango. <laughs> but was that something? I mean, buckle the helmets up, boys, huh? I mean, drummage, huh? <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, I feel like, again, and it's, it's kind of people are, oh, your little act of you not playing good golf wearing off, but we're, we're not playing good golf and we happen to play good yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been a turn there though. That's, we've been playing a little bit better since then. So I feel bad that, uh, Mr. Neil Walker and Eric Tangri happened to be in the way of that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that anomaly. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's crazy is Neil is one of the most genuine human beings I've ever met. Dude. Uh, down to earth, salt of the earth, just a great guy. And you can see, you know, the golf swing of his. You can see how 
his baseball career kind of has affected the golf swing, not in a bad way, mm-hmm. um, but the way the body works, the way he gets through the ball. And I'll tell you what, man, he's he's a good golfer. Yeah, he doesn't only hit dingers on the field. He hits dingers on the course. And, I mean, bombs. And he, he bombs it. And uh-huh. uh, you can tell just a little bit of work here and there, and, and he can be down to a, a four – Handicap, yeah, uh, four or five. I mean, he's got he's got raw talent on the golf course, and like you said, he he couldn't be the any nicer of a guy. I mean, salt of the earth, the yep. nicest guy that I've probably ever met, um, mm-hmm. besides me. Yeah, 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 next to you. But yeah, let's uh, let's roll it into it and go check the video because it is funny. And I think at one point I thought Eric Tangrady was gonna <laughs> probably drop the gloves when I buckled the helmets for the third time on him. I know, but you buckled them up. But So you guys buckle your helmets and go listen to this episode because it's a good one. Yep, here we go. Neil Walker, y'all enjoy this. As you all know by now, Chasing Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Bourne. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Bourne makes fabulous pieces that help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to ChasingBirdies.com to get some custom Chasing Birdie gear from Holderness and Bourne. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's ChasingBirdies.com and Holderness and Bourne at HBGolf.com. This one. Man, you know what, Pep? We, uh, we got our second in-person interview here today on Chasing Birdies. It feels good, man. Feels really good. Sorry about yeah. that delay there. That's yeah, all right. But we got uh, a special guest today, Neil Walker. What's up, my man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. What a day we got here. What a weekend we got planned. Thank it's, you so much. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. You want to in- introduce him real quick to everybody? Nah, I'm done. I'm special done. guest. Take it over. Take it all over. right. All right, guys. We got <laughs> Neil Walker, uh, formerly of the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the Marlins, the Mets, the Yankees, Jeez. Phillies and then a short stint with the Brewers. Yep. Okay. That's, hey, good career. Uh, and he's a Pittsburgh boy drafted by his home teams, hometown team. So right out of the gate, let's talk about that. What was that like? Yeah, early 2000s, um, going through the baseball circuit. Baseball's not, wasn't huge at this time around here. I knew I wanted to play. I was the youngest of four, two older brothers. They were playing professional baseball at the time. And uh, just kind of grinded through the the circuit just to, I just knew I wanted to go to college and play baseball. That's it. I, I didn't, I didn't have any aspirations of getting drafted high or anything along those lines. I love playing football. I played three sports in high school. People were like, what are you doing? You're better at baseball. And, and I'm like, no, I, I just, I love playing sports. I love being athletic and all of that. Fast forward to my senior year. I play in a, a team USA event um, going into my senior year, did really well. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm going from small Division One programs to, you know, Clemson calling, who, who I ended up signing a letter of intent with and some ACC schools and some SEC schools. And then, you know, played really well in my, my senior year of baseball. And all of a sudden they're like, well, you might be in the second round, third round at the most. And all of a sudden I go off in my senior year and they're going, hey, we're getting close to June. And they're going, hey, you got a chance to go in the first round. And then all of a sudden they're going, Hey, you got a good chance of going high in the first round and going, well, how high? And there's three or four teams that are picking between like eight and 15 and the pirates were right smack in the middle at number 11, had a couple conversations, obviously right in their backyard. So I took a lot of batting practice for these guys, took a lot of ground balls, did all this stuff and draft day comes around. I'm 
sitting around a, a, a computer at that time. It's not like it, it was, uh, it is now in, in all the sports and watching my name and there it goes at number 11. So that's kind of how everything started. And then, you know, the grind to get to major league baseball was, was not easy or glamorous, but at the same time, it was all totally worth it. And here I am sitting here today after a, you know, a, a 17 year professional wow. career, 11 year major league career and, and couldn't be happier. So real quick, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is you come, you're 18 years old, you're not making money, and all of a sudden you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. What's that like? And, and how do you stay, because you're a very humble guy, um, how do you stay even keeled making hundreds of thousands of dollars and your, your high school classmates are going freshman year trying to figure out how they're going to pay for their college bar tab? Um, it, it was challenging at times. I, I had the, I had the FOMO, um, you know, especially when baseball season wasn't around those first couple of years, I didn't know how to do laundry. I mean, my parents did everything for me. They paid all my bills. They did everything for me. So I remember signing my contract and getting ready to go to the Gulf coast league in Bradenton. And they're like, you're, you're, you're a high school guy. You're going to start, uh, in the lowest, lowest rung of the minor leagues. And I had no idea what that meant. And all of a sudden, um, I'm getting on a plane and it just hits me. Like right before I'm getting on the plane, I'm like, oh crap. Like, I don't know how to do anything. (laughs) I know how to play baseball. That's it. And, um, fortunately for me, I had a brother that was playing at that time in professional baseball. So he knew what the process was going to be like. And he, my, my dad had played a long time ago in the seventies. My uncle played a long time ago in the seventies. And so getting into pro ball, I had a better general idea of what I was about to get into. But that side of it, the, the, um, the side with dealing with friends and dealing with not being, being college age and not being in college and not having the same ramifications for my actions was, was really a hard transition. Um, and then fast forward, it, 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 it slowly got easier and got easier. And then when I got to the big leagues, being in Pittsburgh, then it, had, then it was a whole new ch- group of challenges, right? Yeah. I mean, there, would be, there was times my first and second year in the big leagues that it was like 5.45 for a 7 o'clock game, and I'd be getting texts like, hey, man, uh, this is so-and-so. Can I get some tickets for the night's game? You got and two I'm tickets like, tonight? Yeah, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm trying to play a big league game here. I'm trying <laughs> to get, get dominated in this game, and I'm dealing with this. And so that was like the next level of trying to, you know, reel things in. But my parents were incredible with that. And my brother and I, my, my sister's married to a guy that's, uh, his name's Don Kelly, and he's the bench coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates now. And he had a long career, mostly in Detroit. And so I just had really, really, a really good foundation getting into pro ball. But you're absolutely right. Like I played with so many guys that just, it was, it was too overwhelming for them. They, 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 they couldn't. The stress. They couldn't conceptualize the bigger picture and how to deal with chasing something and, and seeing the bigger picture of trying to getting there and knowing that it takes steps and steps and steps. So I was just really, really lucky. Well, and that's the thing. It's, it, it is. It's a little bit of a slow process, but it can creep up on you, the, the success. And, um, again, you know, back to what you said with, with people reaching out for tickets. And I have uh, a lot of friends in the, in the NHL and that's what they say is, man, I don't want to play in my hometown because that's where everyone reaches out to me that I spoke to and they want these tickets. And it's just, people don't realize that you don't get 150 seats at a game. You get two seats to a game and, and that's it. And they don't realize that you pay for them. Exactly. And and that was the, and that was the, when I finally reeled it in, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I have these four tickets, but I'm going to buy my mom and dad and and my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time. 
I get, I'm getting three tickets for every single home game. Those are tied up through those guys. I have like one or one or two more if we have people in or, or, or whatever family, that's a totally different story. But once I reeled it in like that, it was just easier to, to, to do it because I'd basically be like, okay, you want to take it? I got one ticket for you tonight. Well, I need four, you know, it's like, uh, no, no. Okay. it doesn't quite work like that. What, what's your visa, bud? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> so what was it like when they said to you, Hey, you're, you're in for the pirates. Um, what was it like running out of that tunnel and your hometown in front of your friends, in front of your family, again, you were, and I'm not, and this is utmost respect. You were the golden child of Pittsburgh at that time. And you're playing for your hometown team. What was it like running out of that, that tunnel? It was the, the, the raw emotions, especially um, getting to the big leagues. I got at the big leagues in the very end of 2009. So I just got a little taste going into 2010. I didn't make the team, but was close. I was playing a bunch of different positions at that point. I knew that I just needed to get my foot in the door. And once I did, that was, that was May, uh, like mid late May of 2010. Then I was stuck there. They said, Hey, go play second base. If you can solidify yourself, basically this is your job to, to lose. And so going into 2011 was my first opening day. That was when it really hit me. So I was almost already in the big leagues technically for almost a year when that first uh, opening day rolls around. And that's when they roll at the red carpet when you're at home and, and you really feel it. And then that was when I, I really felt it was like, wow, this is, this is something special. And this is something that I need to kind of earmark as uh, not only something that I should feel proud about, but at the same time, uh, I knew where the organization was. They were, they were, we were struggling at that time, but I knew that if we stayed along the process and we kept grinding and, and, and I was, you know, in my role with the team was a little bit more of a, a vocal type leader. And I tried to embrace that as much as I could, but I, I felt the pulse of the city. That was the thing that I had was I felt the pulse of the city and, and to a fault sometimes to, to a fault. Whereas, there were times that I cared a little too much when I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? There was times I cared too much what the guy at giant Eagle behind the counter was saying about the team that I mm -hmm. took to heart that like stressed me out. When, when looking back now, I was like, you know, I should, I shouldn't even, you know, what, what is he, what, what does it yeah. matter what he thinks? You know, this right. is, we, we're working hard. We're, we're, we're trying to reach this goal. And then fast forward to 2013, we're looking around in spring training, me, Andrew McCutcheon, Starling Martin. We're like, whoa, we got a, we got a squad here. And that's when we had those three straight years uh -huh. of like really good baseball. And I, and I felt that, like, I felt the, the success of that. I felt the, the, the down fall of it or the, the bad time of it more than anybody else, both personally and professionally. And like I said, to a fault. So, but looking back on it, I, I'm so happy that I had it the way I did because not many people get that. You know, no. a lot of people are, are from California, Texas, Florida, mm -hmm. and baseball, and they're playing for the White Sox or they're playing for somebody. And it's like, great career, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. I'm out of the organization. Mm -hmm. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. I, I got to feel every single day and year of that. You're tied in at heart with that organization. And that's, that's the cool thing. I mean, it's funny you say it about the people at like giant Eagle. They always say, you talk to people, they're like, man, we just lost that game. Oh yeah. You played for them, bud. Which, which <laughs> position did you play? Huh? <laughs> like, oh, and that's the one thing about Pittsburgh that people that are not from here do not understand. Fans in Pittsburgh feel like we are a part of that team. We yep. are, we live, eat and breathe hockey, baseball, football. I mean, it's, it's truly a, a cool city. And again, to its fault, it's not a good thing, right? Because it's like they take it so much out in these, these call-in radio shows. It's like, bud, go, to, go take a nap, huh? Yeah, yeah, take a nap. Well, and I, and I compare it to like a, uh, 
uh, as far as the baseball is concerned, I compare it to like a football mentality, right? Especially when we're talking about Pittsburgh, we've got the, the Steelers and the Penguins are, they, we've been very, very spoiled uh, on, on those lines. Right. And so when, when we started creeping up to that level in those three years, it was like, you know, okay, how do we stay here? And unfortunately that, that section that we only had those three years where we really, really uh, were able to compete. But at the same time, like you, you felt that. And uh, people would say like, oh, we, we had a bad week. And it was like, well, you know, in baseball, we play 162 <laughs> games, right? Like you can make up a bad week in, in late April, you know what I mean? And you still have five months of baseball yeah. left. So that was kind of a, the give and take with dealing with people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on, the, on a daily basis around the area. So what, what from a playing perspective uh, type of hurdles did you have to overcome from playing you know, high school, collegiate, oh, wow. and then obviously up to right to the big leagues. I mean, what was from the playing perspective? Was it faster pitches? Was it harder balls being hit at you? Was it, you know, what, what was the hurdle that you had to overcome? For me, it was finding a position that uh, I could play. I always, I, I knew from a, from a young age that I could hit. I knew I was a switch hitter growing up, especially when I got to high school. So I knew that I could, I could handle the bat. I was catching at the time. I got drafted as a catcher. So I got into pro ball and I caught for a couple years and it's not that I, I wasn't good at it. They had a need in the organization. They, they had a couple young guys that were in the big leagues that were, they thought was were solidified for several more years. And they said, Hey, we don't have a second, a third base and we think you can play third. So I go play third for a couple years and I'm still progressing, especially offensively. And then all of a sudden they go, Hey, we, we had a second pick overall this past year. We took a third baseman. Hey, guess what? You're going to have to find another position. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I'm playing in, in AAA. I'm playing every position you could think of and just thinking to myself, like, I just, I need an opportunity mm-hmm. somewhere. I, need, I, I, can, I know I can do this. I know I can make myself into a good third baseman, good second baseman, good first, good, whatever it may be. I just need the opportunity. So that was the biggest hurdle for me as, as getting in the pro ball was catching for two years, playing third for two years, playing left field and first base and second base. And then all of a sudden, boom, I get an opportunity as a second baseman. And I go, I'm thinking to myself, I have to take advantage of this opportunity. It's huge. And I was luckily able to do that and make a career out of it. Yeah. Wow. A lot of, a lot of adversity, man. And, yeah. and it speaks a lot about you. That, I didn't realize it was like that in baseball. I thought whenever you got drafted for your position, it was your position. I didn't realize that you, they kind of mold you into what they need. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's not, it's not like that, but at the same time in today's game, if you can basically, if, you know, if you can play third base and second base, you can play first base, you know, the, 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 um, the up the middle, we call them the, the catchers, shortstops and center fielders. Those are the premium position guys. Typically, if you're uh, an elite defender at those three positions, you're not going to change. And if you can play those positions, you can literally play anywhere outside, maybe infielders or outfielders catching. So, mm-hmm. If you played the corners, you needed to hit. And so when I went to the corners, I felt a little more pressure as far as offensively because as a catcher, if you can just catch and hit a little bit, you're going to make a long career out of it if, you're, if you don't get hurt. Um, so in today's game, if you, can, if you can play defense, they're going to try to just throw you wherever they can to try to get you, you know, manipulate yeah. the lineup. So you played on six different teams. And I know Pittsburgh. We'll take Pittsburgh out of it. You played for five other teams outside of Pittsburgh. What was the coolest spot to play where every day that you went to, to the field that you just felt like, holy hell, I'm a part of this organization? It was, def- I mean, it was definitely the Yankees. So when I left Pittsburgh, I played two years with the Mets, and that was just phenomenal. I mean, and, and we had such great players. They were coming off a World Series appearance when I got there. 
We had a good start to the season. We had a bunch of guys get hurt, including myself at the end of the year. You got um, to play with uh, Tebow there a little bit. I did. I, yeah. I was in spring training with Tebow. That was, I mean, that was fun. That was a lot of, and, and he was, he was the biggest celebrity. You're talking about Jacob DeGrom, David Wright, like some of these guys. And like when we would go on bus rides in the, in spring training, because obviously he didn't make the big team, you would have like a huddle around Tim Tebow and they would just be, Hey, tell me, tell me stories. Tell me, tell me stories about this guy. Tell me the stories about that guy. And uh, you'd be like, wow, dude, this is, this guy has stories for days. Wow. Um, but his, you know, his path in baseball, the guy tried so incredibly hard. He was, he grinded so hard in the, in the weight room. It was just a matter of like, you know, in baseball, it's like hockey. Like you have to be four five, six years old and just completely play this thing and, and golf's the same way. Like mm-hmm. if you don't play from a very young age, it's so hard to get to the mm-hmm. peak. Right. right. You know, basketball, football, you can, in my opinion, you can kind of mold yourself into a, a, a legit player. You know what I mean? If you're six foot five, 270 pounds mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they go, Hey, you got a chance to be an offensive tackle in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You go, okay. I'll make myself six foot five, 335 pounds and, and, and grind it in the weight room. Maybe I get, I get a chance. It's, it, it's not, it's not, in my opinion, it's just so hard to do that in baseball. You have to have that basis and you have to have that continuity for such a long period of time to kind of get your opportunity so the Yankees was then your favorite kind of spot after the Mets that was my my dad's favorite baseball team growing up and uh what did you play t-ball I'm a t-ball coach right now huh (laughs) I run I run the I run the dugout for a bunch of four-year-olds like chasing cats yeah herding cats Parker Parker I say my son's name a hundred times I'll tell you a funny story about my son, though. You never know what my son's going to do. And first base, he he hits off the tee, runs to first base, gives this kid double pistols. <laughs> I said I said to the head coach, I said, hey, I said, did you just see that? He said, yeah. So he runs to third. I had my phone out. And this I don't know if this kid was saying something to my son, but my son looks at him, shakes his head, and gives him the double pistols and runs <laughs> home. Um but but yeah, my uh, my father when Mazeroski hit that home run to beat the the Yankees, yeah. my uh, my father said that he cried the whole way home wow. from school. Uh, but the Yankees, uh, that's that's it's as good so as it iconic. gets. I mean, like walking into that walking into the locker room for the first time after spring training, and you see you know Babe Ruth's number, Roger Maris, you know Yogi Berra. You're like, whoa! I am I am just a speck of dust as far as, as right. baseball, the, the baseball world is concerned. And you, you can feel it there. Like in, in the bet, the, the one thing that I'm happy that I had a, a foundation for before I went there was just number one, dealing with the media, mm-hmm. but also dealing with the fans, because that's one of the biggest fan bases in media markets in the entire world for you know? any sport, any sport. I mean, you, there may be some, some, some of the soccer teams in, in Europe that are just so gigantic, but like in, in North American sports, like, play for the New York Yankees. That's you know? awesome. And, and I was, I was a somewhat of a nobody on that team. And, and you'd go into Manhattan and people would be like, Hey, well, you're like, how do you even know me? Like, I, I haven't done anything. Right. You know what I mean? But oh, I learned that I learned there that if you went into work every single day and you, and people were going to ask you questions and then sometimes they'd be asking you prying questions to, 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 to get you to say like, Hey, why have you guys played so bad this week? You know what I mean? Well, they're trying for, to get you to bury someone. They're trying to get you day in and day out. They're going to try to get you to bury someone. I found that like, if you were, were, if you were somewhat forward with them, but at the same time, like just keep them a little bit at arm's length, they would give you the, the benefit of the doubt. And they would, they would say when you had a bad game, if they did ask you a question about something and you said, 
I just suck tonight. Like I'll be better tomorrow. You know, they, they'd leave you alone. If you were, if you made it a single excuse, you were going to get peppered and peppered until you, you played really, really well to kind of get back to even. Wow. You hear that? <laughs> That's like life listeners. I mean, you know, sometimes you get kicked down. You just got to just be like, Hey, it's, it's on me. I'll be better tomorrow. Exactly. Amen. And it, that's, that's a, that's a prime mm-hmm. lesson, it, it, lesson. And sometimes it's a hard lesson for young guys to learn just across the board in the sports world or the business mm-hmm. or whatever that may be. It's like, how can I do my job better today? Mm-hmm. And if I don't do well, can I look in the mirror and say, okay, where did I go wrong today? And how can I get better? It's chasing birdies. <laughs> well, and let's, you know, let's kind of talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, we just chased birdies today. Um, <laughs> not often. But they were out there today for us. For for the Chase and Birdie boys, today was a good day on the course. Mm-hmm. It was a good day for you guys. You played baseball your whole career. Where did the golf come into play? I mean, I know that baseball, everybody thinks baseball players can play golf every single day, but in reality, it's the pitchers that are mostly playing the golf. Um, where did you get your love for golf, and, and has it grown over retirement, I guess? Yeah, it's, well, yes, it's grown a lot over retirement. I think growing up, I had, I had like three different groups of, of, of friends growing up where I did in just north of Pittsburgh and Gibsonia. And it was like a, a basketball group, a baseball group, and a football group. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had a couple guys from each group that liked to play golf. So you'd have time in, in, in the summertime between, you know, baseball. And there was a couple places we played north of the city, Pittsburgh North. And at the time, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh what's, what's now Pittsburgh National, which was Deer Run, one of my favorite tracks when I was a kid. I'm still super nostalgic about that place every time I get an opportunity to go because it's right in my backyard, um, you know, 10 minutes down the road. But um, we would go in the mornings at, at 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m. Our parents would drop us off and be like, hey, we're, we're, we'll pick you back up at 10 a.m. And, you know, seven of eight of us would run up there. We had no idea what we were doing, but we had the whole course to ourselves. So it kind of started there. And then when I got more into baseball, you'd have people say like, oh, it's going to mess up your baseball swing, this and that. So you got away from it for a little bit. When I got back into pro ball, I started to play a little bit more. And now, uh, you know, I, in spring training, I'd play, you know, eight to 15 times um, mm-hmm. in Florida somewhere. And then during the season, you'd play a little bit. If you were lucky enough to go to, you know, San Diego and have an off day or Milwaukee and have an off day and, 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 and pop up to Whistling Straits or, or wherever you may be. I, I grew a love for it, but you're right. Like the, in, in the baseball world, the pitchers were the guys that were playing all the time. So uh, I was never able to really work on my game. So it's it, right for right now. It's still guerrilla golf, but it's trending in a, in a decent well, direction. Yeah, I mean, he's got a good game. <laughs> he's I got mean, a really good game. Second time I've played with you and, uh, I, and you hit it way better today than you did when we were in Colorado. Uh, and you, dude, he ripped it on 18. I mean, that was beautiful. Ripped it. So I mean, you yeah, got it was a, a good, big hole uh, too. you got a good game there. Um, and, and the thing about golf is it, you'll never perfect it. So you just keep, yeah. Yeah. it's like, baseball. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's the, that's the crazy thing is that, you know, he played at the highest level in baseball and then to bring him to the golf course, you can tell there's a little bit of frustration there yeah. because you take him on a baseball field, he can control it a little bit better. He can, you know, if he's not hitting it well, he might change something. But if he's not hitting it well in the golf course, it's kind of like, what am I doing? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. so so that's the crazy thing about golf for the world's best athletes from other sports. Right. And I think I think that's why it's rare to see, you know, when, when guys retire, when you see Tony Romo running around or you see, um, 
you know, uh, Tim Hudson, I think, is a really good uh, golfer. John Smoltz, some of these guys that are ex-baseball players. It's it's rare. I, the one guy I played with was Adam LaRoche that was an offensive player that was an incredible golfer. And I, I couldn't believe it when I saw him play as a, during se- the season and whatnot because you'd be like, okay, I've seen some golfer, some 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 pitchers go out there and, and, and go low and, and play scratch, but, like, they don't have to worry about their baseball swing. Like, how, how are you doing yeah. this? Like, how are you? It's, it's a it's a totally different thing, and you have to get so far away from an actual baseball swing just with the visuals and the feet and the hands and all that stuff. Like, you have to get a little less handsy on the on, on the golf course than you do on, on a baseball swing. So, um, so the baseball swing's more handsy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess yeah, you're releasing it more, right? Because you're yeah, when you're coming down, when you're kind of coming down the line, you're you're releasing, and and I guess it's not much different because you're still kind of stopping, but like you're able to manipulate the bat within a swing wherever the pitch is at, because obviously the, the ball's moving, right? Um, that's that's the one thing that I've noticed that's like you said the most frustrating because the ball's just yeah. sitting there, but at the same time, you're th- I'm thinking to myself, okay, well. I, I got I got a couple hits off of this guy throwing 95 miles an hour yesterday with the balls moving like crazy like why and, and I manipulated the hands to kind of pull them in mm-hmm. to get a hit this way and reached out to do that why can I not do this mm-hmm. on, on the golf course and hit it mm-hmm. where I'm trying to hit it it just doesn't translate well and that's the thing too it's so frustrating about golf is you know like number number five today at Namakolan on on Mystic Rock. I have 160 yards in I just hit it 285 down there I'm on a par five. And I only get it down on four shots. So I just went 165 yards and four shots, but I went 285. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it's like, what the shit? <laughs> and we're coming a lot. Ba- I mean, and Bash goes 240. Oh, <laughs> I mean, and I fanned a little six iron. Hey, but the, the part five was playing like 400 yards, all right? And and then on the eighth hole, I hit a pretty good uh, four iron there, bud, from 210. Yeah, it was good. Hybrid. We're coming. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're recording this episode today in the Golf Academy here at Nemecolon. It's gorgeous. Um, is it not the coolest spot? I mean, this is great up here. Every time we come up here, it's like stay at something. It's but this, but this learning center is so impressive. It's first class. Everything about Nemecolon. Uh, again, they they think it. They're gonna do it, yep. and uh, their golf courses are in incredible shape right now. So, and you come up here often with your family and friends. I mean, you used to come up here with your teammates. Yep. We used to come up, uh, the all-star break, you'd get Monday through Thursday off. And, um, I would usually bring, especially guys that were into golf, but it was perfect. I mean, you're an hour and a half away from Pittsburgh and and you come up here and you can fish, you can golf, you can use a spa, you can use two different pools, you can do whatever Mm -hmm. you want. And every time I brought uh, guys up here that had never been up here, they're like, are you kidding me? This is, this is, this exists. Like Like, you said, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so we try to get up here a couple of times a year, you know, and whether it's a uh, time of year for golf or time of year for, you know, indoor Winter. stuff, it doesn't matter. It's, right. it's great. Yeah. Any inquiries, send them over to Kelly O'Donnell on uh Nemecolon. Yep. Kelly's director of golf and he's on chasing birdies. So what's life like now after uh baseball, after you're, you're, you know, you, you obviously are going to still want to pursue something. I know you might be in the broadcasting now, the booth a little bit, trying that out. I mean, how's that going? Yeah, so at this point, I've I've done a uh, about three broadcasts, TV broadcasts for AT and T Network for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I really enjoyed it. That was in um, uh, in July or in August. I'm sorry, and I'm going to do six more. Uh, the last six games of the season for the Pirates, three radio and three uh, TV. So, you know, for me, I, w- I want to stay involved in the game to some capacity. Mm-hmm. I have, like I told you guys, I have a five year old and a two year old. So. 
basically for the last 17 years of my life, I I've, I've been gone essentially from February until October. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to be able to, to, to tell my wife, Hey, you want to go do something for the week? You want to, you know, she's going to nap in a, in a couple of days. It's like, don't even worry about it. Just, just go with your friends. Just, I'm trying to make up for lost time mm-hmm. per se. That's- um, but you know, I, I, I feel like I, I owe that to her, but at the same time, like I want to still stay involved in the baseball world because that's, that's kind of what I know and what, what I'm, I feel like I'm good at. So I think this broadcasting thing can be something that's, that's fun, but at the same time is, is really enjoyable. I've never really wanted to be heavily involved in coaching, you know, do a younger to the younger generation, the, the youth and that stuff. I really, I really have a passion for that, especially the high school kids in the area that, that want to go play at the mm-hmm. next level because you to, to get the kids that, that can grasp, Hey, I want this. I want to go get it. You can feel that in guys. And you can also feel it in the, in the eight to 12 year olds. But for me, I can really feel it from that 15 to 18 year old uh, area. So I've gotten involved with a couple people, um, around the, the, the Northern area. And we have a facility in Russellton, which is basically Deer Lakes. And it's going to be a, uh, a four baseball field and four soccer field facility, all turfed and in the baseball world wow. right now. Um, it, the, the, like the track mans we're seeing here in the learning center, we're basically going to have these, and it's going to be for the scouting, for the scouting world, for the, for the, um, you know, anybody that's coming to see these kids play. So my hope is that regionally, and like I said to you, it's baseball, the baseball world has gotten better as far as getting exposure for the kid for the kids around here, but it hasn't gotten to the, to that level. Kids are still, kids and families are still going down to Georgia. They're still going down to Texas. They're still going to California to get seen. And we're hoping that we can give them the opportunity in this region, whether it's, you know, five hours over to Philadelphia or over to Columbus, Ohio, or up into to, to Buffalo or South down into West Virginia, North Carolina, that we can give them the ability to get seen by not just D1 teams, D3, community, whatever that may be. We want to give them the opportunity to see that. So we're going to have, all of these uh, camera systems and, and, and uh, uh, Yakker techs, which some people may be familiar with, on these fields so that team comes in, the, all their kids are going to um, get all their numbers. Kid, kid pitches, they're going to get all their numbers put into a system, and everybody's going to be able to see it and, and, and sign on online and see it. So that's kind of a passion of mine too. That's the thing too right now if you really think about it. For, for a kid, us growing up, we played three, four different sports. Now every sport for a kid is 12 months. There is not, I, I mean, if you're good at hockey, you're off ice training for in the summers or you're going north to play, uh, golf's 12 months, baseball's can be 12. It's just, that's the one thing I wish the kids would kind of play sure. a little bit of everything because the parents right now, I'm watching it with my son at four, <laughs> these parents, I mean, hey, bud. Oh, my God. Get a life, huh? I mean, bud, go flip another pizza. <laughs> like, you've never played a sport in your life. Right. And you're screaming at your four-year-old son to catch a ground ball. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the... I want to see you catch the ground ball, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Me? No, I'm talking to oh, yeah. Aaron. Yeah, Lou. Lou Smith, catch it. Lou, Lou I'm going to sit. I'm gonna hit a ground ball at you, and you try to stop it. Yeah. You're not going to be able to. You can't even bend over. And they're yelling at their four-year-old. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess, man. The whole world's crazy. You're right, though. I mean, the the in the sports world now, it's like, if you're, if you're playing more than one sport, um, you know, sometimes it's being seen as like, you're not committed to, to this, you yeah. know, to the one sport that you may, may be good at. And that's, and that's tough to see because I always felt growing up and you guys probably did too, that like playing multiple sports kept me more athletic. Like it kept from my, my arm from really mm-hmm. falling off just from mm-hmm. exercising a certain way and playing a certain way and, and being a, a short burst game or playing basketball and being, you know, 
uh, conditioned a, a longer way. So um, you fight that, but at the same time, it's in, in where we have, sitting here now. It's not going to change anything right. soon. So. Right. It's no. not. It's actually. It's gotten worse. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just let the kids play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Let them enjoy. I mean, the odds of a Neil Walker coming out of my son's baseball game are slim to none, boys. <laughs> well, I you- hit a nerve here. <laughs> <laughs> So we get on a golf course, you know, what, what does it do to you? You know, for me, it's like almost sometimes relaxing. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Man, man miserable times of time. But, um, <laughs> but there is an element of escape for me that I kind of turn to. And do you have anything that you kind of turn to whenever you get on a course, whether it's from a mentality standpoint or just, just the, the perfectionist in you to want to try to achieve something? That's, that's the, that's the most fun thing for me about golf is that, you know, you, you can spend all the time you want on the range, but at the same time, you know, you get down there, you, you hit your first tee shot of the day and you have a downhill side hill lie and you're going, wait a second, the, yeah. the, 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 the practice range was, was what? not like this. How am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And you learn to visualize. And that was one thing in, in baseball that, that you get better at as time goes, because eventually if you're lucky enough to play long enough, your physical, your, your, your physicality kind of slows down and your mental game kind of rises. Yeah. rises. So that's, that's why in the baseball world, when you get to 26 to 30, it's almost like they, they really even up. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're, when you're 27, 26 and below mm-hmm. your physicality is up here, but your mental, mental. game is here. So it kind of gets to a point where all of a sudden it matches up and that's when you hear people saying they're in their, you know, they're in their prime. prime. Yeah. That, that, that was the hardest thing th- for me through college golf is like you make a double bogey, you start losing your mind. And now I make a double bogey and it's like, all right, well, let's go make it a couple Whatever. more birdies. Yeah. Like, you know, what, what yeah. you going to sit here and feel bad about? And that's, again, I'm 35 years old opposed to an 18 year old myself. I mean, uh, it, is, it, it, it is, it's a, it's a big thing. And you look at these PGA tour players even, and, and you have to ask yourself, did somebody like Rory, Rory McIlroy and, um, Justin Thomas, I mean, yeah, he's starting to play better, but Rory hasn't done anything. Did they peak too early? Sure. W- was the spotlight too, I guess, too big for them then? Or or it's too, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's I know what you thing, mean, you, Right? Yeah. Like, they're winning majors at 24 and 25 like it's nothing. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you don't hear from Rory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are, in, in, my, in my mind, I call them the one percenters, right? In, in the mm-hmm. sports world, not just baseball. Like you have these one percenters that were the best players on their little league team, the best players on their high school team, got drafted real high in the first round, were, were with the Yankees or the huge market teams, and they have all this on them. And they get to the big leagues, and you hope that their development – hasn't been messed up just by the, the, the media mm-hmm. or people telling them you, you have to do this to be good at your game. You have to be, you have to do this. And if you can find a way, I, I always thought that the biggest turning point in my career from a baseball standpoint was the day that I decided, and, and this was actually in, in 2009, this is a decent story. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon and I, and I went through the minor leagues basically the whole way together. And uh, 2009, uh, in triple a, I'm having a pretty good year. He's having a really good year. He gets called up in June and I, and I hurt, I, I blew out my knee, didn't blow it out, but I hurt my knee pretty bad. Six week recovery and, and hurt my finger. And I went down into, and, uh, to rehab down in Florida, like the worst, the worst thing ever. You're going into the minor league complex every day and you're just like, this is horrible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember having like almost a come to Jesus with myself. Like, you know what? I've gotten to this point on, on athletic ability 
And I need to take this next step as a, uh, you know, as a baseball player with, with, with the mentality. So when I get back, I am going to do my, I'm going to do me. Like I know what I'm good at. I'm going to, I'm going to prepare every day to make myself the best. And not that I'm not going to listen to my hitting coaches or or all these people. Sure. I'm going to listen to them, but I'm going to, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down on my Mm -hmm. terms. And so when I, when I got to that mindset, it really helped me go to the next level. And, and things kind of went off. I could, I could live with the horseshit days. I could live mm. with the good days, but I found a, a way to kind of stay right here in the middle mm-hmm. as opposed to really getting high with the good days and down with the lows because of the course of a, we'll call it an eight month baseball season. You just get so mentally drained. Mm. And if you're, oh if you, God. if it can, if you let it consume you, it will just completely eat you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and I know that's true in other sports too, but oh, it's, it's golf. I mean, think about people, how many friends we have make a double bogey in the first hole and they're like, this, this, this round's over. <laughs> Hey, they're on the phone. I don't know. You so, know. and that's just, uh, you, you got to, hey. Your, your, your partner from today is laughing over there. <laughs> we got uh, Eric Tangrady in the house here, too. Uh, Neil Walker and Eric Tangrady pegged it up today with us at Mystic Rock versus me and Pep. And we were ham and egging it. We're not going to started talk about off so good. It ended egg. so bad. A lot less egg in the back nine. We're eh? not going to talk about it. Um, But, so, so you, your newfound passion is is golf. Um, what's your favorite place to peg it up at, other than where you're a member at? Like where that you go on a trip, or that that you absolutely cannot wait. Yeah, I mean, I've one of my favorite places. Let me think. I mean, Laurel. I'm trying to think just kind of outside of of this regional area and some of the places I Laurel's played. Laurel's as good as it gets, man. Laurel is just absolutely phenomenal. And, 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 and for, and more than anything, it's like a getaway, right? It's, it's very similar to here. It's just so, uh, you, you, you feel it when you step on the ground, you don't, you don't feel like your the stress just kind of leaves you. It's hollowed ground. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. playing Innisbrook down in Tampa was always fun, especially around the times that we would in spring training, they would, the, the PGA tour would always kind of come through there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Honda classic, we would always go down to the Honda classic. So we'd always try to play down there in West Palm, um, so I was lucky enough to play a decent amount of courses down there. One of my favorite places of all time though, is uh, a place just, uh, just East of Bradenton called the concession. Mm-hmm. And it's weaved kind of, I'm not sure if it's 70 or 64 off of uh, 75 in uh, Bradenton, but one of my good friends, Charlie Morton, who's with the yeah. Braves li- lives. I think he believe, I believe he still lives on the course. We would, uh, we would go out there all the time and it was very similar to, to, kind of the, uh, these places, Laurel and Nemecolon, where it was just completely tucked away, but it wasn't that far away. It was only 15 minutes right. off of 75, but every hole, and I think they play the SEC championship there now, the men's SEC championship, okay. and it's just a phenomenal course. Oh, man, that, that Florida golf, that Bermuda, yeah. tough. Wind and That's water. Tough on, the, tough on the old chip shots, huh? <laughs> you, uh, yeah, especially with the blade opened up. <laughs> Do you still but keep Listen, t- no, real quick, I get it, dude. Like I skull wedges. I'm not even. I. Was you don't have not, to. Not. You don't have to. You hit a great wet shot today. The sh- the wet shot that you really messed up was the other day at uh, Swickley Heights with JT and Vince, on the on the par. But it it's fine. We rebounded. Do you still uh, talk to any of your boys from that team when y'all went when the Pirates went? I mean, I, you know, you just you had some Charlie. studs on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I still keep in in, in touch with Andrew McCutcheon, Pedro Alvarez. Uh, 
Garrett Cole was lucky enough to go visit Garrett up in uh, in New York over Father's Day. And that was a fun, uh, his son was had just turned one and he didn't throw that weekend, but I was able on Father's Day, and this was actually cool, on Father's Day, he's, he lives up in, uh, in in the Connecticut area, and I lived up there when I played for the Yankees, and I always wanted to take my daughter on the train to a game because they had one train that yeah. would go like an hour before the game, and so on Father's Day, we were all going to go to the, ga- the Yankee game, and we did, and my wife is like, I don't really want to take the train, it's too hot. I said, I'm taking my daughter, I'm taking my daughter. She was... Uh, she was a couple uh, months away from turning five. So we went into, into Greenwich and caught the train and like did that whole thing. And it was so much fun. I mean, on, on my shoulders going into the Yankee game, like, you know, I turned into a fan. Right. Like it was, you're being a dad. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Well, first off, was he able to afford the first birthday party? (laughs) But I mean, how much money did that guy make? He's struggling. He's struggling. Holy hell. Um, But that's the thing, too, probably for you that you look back, probably the only thing that you really look back on your career that you wish is that the kids could see daddy play, right? right? And you look up in the stands, and they have number 18 daddy jerseys on type thing. Right. So not to get sentimental, but that that is now that, you you know, when you're a parent, that's kind of the small things in life that you right. wish that you could have captured. Type and that thing. was the that was the hardest thing about how my career ended. And not not that I wasn't super nostalgic about it, but that just the COVID year last year, I had a good idea going into last year that it might might be my last year just in general. But then I got to thinking, oh my my daughter, I don't my daughter, I don't think she remembers me playing for the Mets or the Yankees. I mean, this might be a good if this if this is my last year. I I hope that she's able to kind of conceptualize mm-hmm. it a little bit. And nobody was a lot of games. Nobody, oh. you know, and and so. We'll, we'll go to games like we went to the pirate game yesterday and, and, uh, and she'll go down and she's more interested in the cotton candy and, right. the, and the ice cream. And I'm like, you know, I used to play on this field a couple of years ago. And she's just like, oh, I don't give a crap. That's crazy. <laughs> Buy me some, dad. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. <laughs> oh shit, man. I haven't been to a pirate game in a long time. Well, you can get a seat, bud. Uh, There's a lot of them there. Yeah. Beautiful stadium. Beautiful stadium. <laughs> give it time, boys. Give it time. Uh huh. We, we hope. I mean, we want to see people do well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, with, with the whole golf thing, you know, you obviously traveled and played a lot of golf. What would you say is the one place that, Hey, Neil, where you want to go today, bud? Anywhere in the, we'll take a plane. We'll do whatever you want. Where is the one place that you want to put that peg in the ground and go? Mm. I wasn't lucky enough to, uh, I had a, when I was with the, uh, the Marlins, we had an off day in Milwaukee and we were supposed to play up at uh, Whistling Straits. And I, no joke, I got hurt. I hurt my knee the day before, the oh. day that the plane left for, for Milwaukee. We were supposed to play the next day. And I was so, oh. even the amount of times that I played for the Pirates and we obviously played up there three times a year, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it was too cold or, you know, we didn't have a, a good off mix day. Up. It just didn't match up. And, we planned this like months in advance. The guys on the team that were, that were into golf, that wow. was that was the one place that I am so upset that I didn't get to play, and I'm hoping for another shot at it. But yeah, I mean, we played up in um, up in San Francisco at a place that was phenomenal too. Not the Olymp, not Olympia, uh, Olympia. Harding Park. No, not Harding Park. It might come back to me, but that was that was one of the that was one of the better tracks that 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 I've played in my time traveling with baseball and whatnot. But if I had to pick one, it would still be whistling straights. But unfortunately I haven't played it. So I can't yeah. be like, you know, I'm going to go back to this. Place. Right. It's, it's, it's on the, it's very high up. It's, on the bucket list. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's... well, the good thing is now you can just go there, right? 
<laughs> you don't have to worry about the baseball schedule. Exactly, yeah. They say that that whole whistling straights thing's pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be a good one to do. We did we did Sand Valley a couple years ago. In Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Yeah, I heard that that's was, incredible. That was so good. Yeah. Um, they, they're owned by Bandon and... Um, yep. The one in Canada. Mm, I don't know. They own the one in Canada, too. Cabot Links. Cabot, Cabot. Cliffs. Links. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Thank God we have a... Um, it's on the cheap seats. Fan fan base here today. <laughs> Can't go anywhere without these. How, how was your partner today? Would, how would you rate your partner today, Neil? You know, we've played, Tango and I have played, uh, you know, in member member events, and we literally play at the same number, and he's more consistent than me. I mean, I'll, for, for the for the good, my good holes, my bad holes are really bad. My good holes are pretty good, and he's he's usually somewhere in the middle. So we, we do a good job of, of kind of bringing each other down, but at the same time, it's uh, it's sometimes difficult for us to be really good on on the same hole. Yeah, well, well <laughs> that's what I mean, makes a good team or a bad team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played really well the front nine uh-huh. here. Yeah, I mean, oh, he, he did. played really like, well, fantastic. Yep. He was even par going in to nine, I believe. Um, close to yeah, yeah, he was and made a triple or something. But you know that nine will get you nine here at Mystic Rock. They have it as number seven on the scorecard. I mean. That that hole is the hardest hole on the course. That's Would serious. You, what do you think, Pep? Yeah, bud. It's the yeah. hardest hole on the course. It's number seven. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? That we give shots here, there, everywhere. So, but yeah, I mean, again, I was pretty impressed. With, and that's the thing. You watch other athletes because they're so good at what they do, and then they come to the golf course. That's how you can see. And I was pretty impressed with your game. Oh, I so, appreciate that. I, uh, I don't necessarily uh, feel the same way, well, but I appreciate that. Well, sentiment. the putting is the is the number one the feel for people. Uh huh. Oh, you got. I mean, you yeah, got you good rotation. Been, it's like you're hitting. I mean, you get somebody like Matt Barkowski out there, bud. He he's got the hands of steel. Oh, bud. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Bar play. Actually. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's yeah. a gem. He's a gem. P- player drink. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, when man. he gets that mixture right, though, <laughs> yeah, dude, he's he's on fire. So let's get uh, let's get into our tapping segment here on Chasing Birdies, where Jonathan will ask you a couple, okay. four or five questions, and uh, we'll we'll let him take it over from here. All right, say a couple things. You tell us what first comes to mind. Roberto Clemente. <laughs> I mean, that's that's nostalgia at its at its finest for me. And you know, the story is well documented, but uh, is that too many words? Too many words. Nope. No, keep going. No, Obviously, my you know, I literally owe my life to this guy, and and not not in direct terms, but saved my dad's life. I mean, my dad was in Puerto Rico the the uh, when he when he passed away when he when his plane went down, and he was he was almost on. My dad was almost on that flight. He was at the airport helping him. Holy, um, I, yeah. You guys didn't know this story. Wow. No. Yeah. No. So both playing winter ball, both for different teams in Puerto Rico. Um, my dad was single at the time, going into the. Um, uh, New Year's on New Year's uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, they had a bunch of players that came to the to the airport to help them load um, supplies on a plane to go to Nicaragua, Nicaragua for the earthquake they had. My dad is out there, and there's five or six guys that said, "Hey, we're going to go with you. We're going to jump on the plane. We're going to sit on boxes. We'll go, and we're just going to come drop off the supplies and come back because it wasn't that that long of a flight." And uh, at the very last minute. Clemente was like, nope, just going to be me and the pilot. There's too much stuff. I don't want you guys sitting on boxes. It's New Year's. Go back into San Juan and party. And I, wow. I'll never forget my – and my dad would tell, tell me stories, especially in the baseball world. And he was, you know, he was, he was older when, when he had me. He was, he was almost uh, 
in, in his forties, I believe. So like when I would hear stories as an eight, nine, 10 year old, I would just roll my eyes and be like, Oh yeah, whatever dad, you play in the seventies. I don't care. Right. But if I, I remember being like 15 or 16 and him telling that story again to like a group of people. And I was there and I was like, Whoa, wow. Whoa. That's like, I didn't re- I never realized that. Yep. And so he said he went back and obviously in the seventies or the only thing they had was like radio, you know, frequencies right. wow. in, in some of these bigger cities. Wow. And he went back and, and they were partying. He went back to his apartment and they were, people were losing their minds and said, Hey, did you hear? He said, Clemente's plane just went down. And my dad said, I just left the airport. There's no way that's, that's, that's wrong. And no. And there oh, were people, my. there were people walking the, the, the beaches for weeks at a time, just trying to see if anything washed up and they, they still, they've never found his body. And, and they, so they never found his never body, never found his body. We found some wings in, in the Roberto Clemente museum in downtown Pittsburgh is a phenomenal uh, trip. If you, if you're interested at all in that, in I that got chills here, boys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get chills every time I tell, tell the story, especially to people that, that have kind of never heard it, but um, you know, I literally, Oh my oh, life. Like. And there was some, there was some weird stuff that happened in my career in Pittsburgh and, and one that really blew me away. So every September and it's coming up, Clemente day will come up where everybody wears, uh, doesn't technically wear 21, but 21. So uh, you can wear 21 now if you want to, but it's completely league wide um, retired. I'll never, for, I'll never forget with the pirates, obviously the, 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 the boys, Clemente's boys and his wife Vera would come mm-hmm. into, into Pittsburgh and we would always go to a, to an inner city school, and give back to, to, to some capacity, whether it was, uh, food or, or, um, you know, school supplies or something. And in the one year, and I, I believe it was 2014, I had 20 home runs going into on Clemente day. We're playing in Pittsburgh. The 21 foot wall in right field is sitting there every day that I would go out there before, uh, the national anthem. I would always, I would always try to tip my cap or give some kind of something to the big 21 that sits there mm-hmm. in the top left corner of the wall. Right. And I hit, I hit a ball and I think my third at bat for my 21st home run. Right over the- just, I mean, when I say just over the 21 foot wow, Clemente wall, dude. and I'm not kidding you, that's never happened. Rounding the bases, playing as long as I did. I mean, that, that might've been home run number 60, 70, 80. I don't know, but I'm rounding the bases and I'm like close to oh tears. Just goosebumps completely going over my body. And I remember finishing and people in the guys in the dugout too were like, Hold on, like Clemente Day, your twenty-first home run, right over the twenty-one foot Clemente wall. Oh You're like, I'm like, okay, somebody, somebody's with me. Somebody is oh, totally that's, with yeah. me. Insane. That's that greater power, dude. That is right. crazy. Well, that was a pretty good first question. <laughs> Sorry, um, it was a little long. No, that was no, odd. That's dude, that, awesome. I, I had no clue. All right, favorite on course drink. Oh my. Got to be something with with vodka. I mean, the high noons are always a good fallback. Mm. If I have, if I'm able to, if I'm able to to, to big twenty four ounce Yeti it, I'll go with uh, a friend taught me how to make a one iron right, and that's uh, ginger ale and orange vo- orange vodka with a little bit of orange liqueur. Whoa, one iron. He calls it one a one iron. iron because when when shit starts to go sideways off the uh, yeah off the tee box, you just start hammering the one irons and, and break I mean, out. I would the- not. I- <laughs> Lowest round in a what course? I shot a seventy-three at the field club this year. Oh yeah, it was one of the one of these days where I went out and everything was working. Played with a, a couple buddies, just could not miss. Couldn't, oh, couldn't miss. That's awesome. And, and it was I, I finished the round and I was like, I don't know whether to be really excited about this or like try to figure out what the hell happened because right. that, that is not. That's awesome. So, but that was, I mean, going home that day, the, the feeling 
of not, you know, basically I, I hit 77, 78 every once in a while, but getting close to par, par. I was like, whoa, yep. okay. All right, we got something here. I bet that brought you back for more. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. You got a one-shot lead. We're at the U.S. Open. You're on the 72nd hole. What's the club that you need to have in your hand to close this out? I need I need a nine iron. Mm. I need a nine iron. I need it to be right around right around 150, 155. Wow. Yeah. Good yeah. Question. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm still like over that Roberto Clemente thing. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> that's a little a little deep there. It was, it was deep. Good. Is that too deep? No, no it was awesome. Perfect. That, 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 I probably wouldn't. Have, if it's I chilling. didn't know that, if I would have known that, I probably would not have thrown it out there. No, man. That's great. Well, I think uh, you know for any listeners that that it had hadn't, hadn't heard that story. I mean, that's that's a big part of my life. So, like, yep. you know, it, the to hear that every time I hear that story, it just like you know blows you away at how you know and like saying it's deep, but like how fragile everything is, and, yeah, how, and how you need to enjoy your life and you, you need do. To- I have one more question because we really didn't get into this, but best teammate of all time. Oh my gosh, <sighs> tough one. That is a tough one. You know who you know who was the most impactful for not just me but a lot of my teammates was was a guy named AJ Burnett that mm, yeah. a lot of people know because when AJ came to Pittsburgh he had he had obviously I mean he'd been the pinnacle of baseball per- personally and professionally I mean World Series uh, you know mm. all these accolades and he came and he was on the back end of his career and he was so good at dealing with you know he was tough. Don't get me wrong. Like, he was really tough, especially on the pitchers. And you didn't want to be around. We called him on, on his start day, we called him J.A. Because he was so ass backwards in his – he was the complete opposite person that, than you, that you would meet from his other four days that he wasn't starting. Mm-hmm. This dude would come in and he, you would not you, – you wouldn't look this guy in the eye. But you, you recognize that, like, this is how it's supposed to be done. Like, mm-hmm. you may not be able to do this day in and day out and have this mentality, but this dude – is 39 years old on, on his, his, you know, his arms killing him. You can tell he's, he's, he's hurt. He still wants it though. He wants it. And he set the, the right example for all of us. And we all took something from his preparation right. and from mm-hmm. his mentality. And he, he didn't, he didn't always do it in the, in the way that, uh, you would necessarily kind of teach it, mm-hmm. it, but you would always know that he was getting his point across in some capacity. And sometimes it was tough love. And sometimes it was, you know, one, one time I'll never forget. He, he he accidentally broke my iPad on a on a flight because he wanted everybody to hang out and I was I was dog ass exhausted and had my headphones on and watching it, a movie on my iPad and all of a sudden I I see somebody come up and grab my iPad and just go whoa no. <laughs> and I was like I can't oh. say anything to him I'm sitting here I'm like no he didn't just do that did he and he goes you're gonna hang out with your teammates and I was like you're right and the next day I got it I got a brand new iPad in my locker you know what I mean huh. like you know he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna do do stuff like that but it was a at the same it time it was a learning it was a it was still a learning experience yeah. Yeah. yeah and not that not that wouldn't do that still you know okay I need I need my space to, to some degree but it was like being the doing moment. this we're gonna do this together whether mm-hmm. you feel good don't feel good sorry but we're gonna do, sometimes mm-hmm. we're gonna do we're, things together right. yeah for yeah. sure so well guys that was an awesome episode with with Neil Walker. Again, we're we have a, a huge match tomorrow. <laughs> huge. Eric Tangrady. He's already stretching. I mean, this guy. He's on the track man right now, boys. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, he just hit yeah. the window. He he's, said he needs thirteen oh, hours Eric, of sleep tonight. Eric, you got to open the window before you hit the. <laughs> um, but these two versus us two, 
It'll be on a YouTube channel somewhere in in the near coming weeks. Uh, stay tuned, Neil. We can't thank you enough, buddy. It was a, it was a blast. We could do this for hours. Um, gosh, you look pretty good, bud. Oh, dude, new H and B golf on right now. Got a little. Uh... I think I got a little BO right now too, but it yeah, was a hot one out there. But we had to drink water. Yeah, on top it was of really beers, hot. But. Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, on. man. It was Thanks. awesome, man. Thank, Thank you. you so much uh, for your time, man, and and golfing here for a couple of days. Got your wife, so we look uh, forward to having a good evening with you, and see you tomorrow on the course, brother. Appreciate it. All right, boys. Dude, that Clemente story has given me goosebumps over and over. Yeah. The. And I had no idea of the Roberto Clemente story and how much he's meant to the Walker family. Uh, because whenever I said that, I was just saying it because the uh-huh. Pirates and how big of a icon he is for the Pirates, not knowing that in depth of a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, when we were sitting there, I wish that we had that recorded because our mouths were on the ground. Number oh, one, because I felt like I was out yeah. of place for even asking that. But yeah. Seriously, and my mouth only has to go, you know, about three inches before it hits the ground, and I was like, "Wow!" Mm-hmm. So, and insane. again, that's another one why you know, you never know, and and cherish life, bud, huh? That's, that's why. It. That's why we do this. That's the way we have fun. That's why we hang out. That's why you, dude. Nice yeah. vest, bud. You like that vest, the Holderness and Born vest, uh, with the little Chase and Birdie logo mm-hmm. on the left. Looks good, bud. Chest. Yeah. Um. So, you know, looking forward now, we got some good shit coming up here in October. And our next guest, we're taking it back to the ice. Yeah, with training camp uh, starting uh, right now and and going till about October 5th or 6th, whatever it is. Uh, we're we're going to take it to the old 2-9er, a, a Pittsburgh Penguin uh, staple, mm-hmm. I would say. He's the radio call uh, play-by-play for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, does a lot of charity work in the city of Pittsburgh. He's won two Stanley Cups as a player with the Penguins, three as a commentator. Mm-hmm. So five-time Stanley Cup champion, Phil Bork. So awesome. It's 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 a fun one. He's got some stories, and I feel like we could have got some stories out of him, more stories. So um, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, no, it was. It, it's it's awesome. So we can't wait to bring you that. So, but how'd you play too. at the uh, Big Smoke? Did you play good? In the Big Smoke? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hit a grade. <laughs> I did. But no, seriously, listen. I, I mean, you do this to me all the time, and I lose my train of thought. I was going to tell you that with the Phil Bork episode coming out in two weeks, we also realized that today is almost the last day for your little promo uh, for the merch gig. Yes. So in the forthcoming days here, buddy, you're going to have to announce the winner yeah. for us to play a little round of golf with up at Nemecolon. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, um, again, guys, chaseandbirdies.co. Go buy something. You're automatically entered into a drawing to play golf at Nemecolon in October with Ryan and myself. And keep supporting us. Chaseandbirdies.co. Buy some merch. Instagram at chasing underscore birdies. And uh, let's keep it rolling, guys, because we're we're getting we're getting some momentum here, and the guests that we have coming to you are big, yeah, and there's some of them that are in the works that are big. So keep tuning in, keep telling your friends. Uh, thank you to Holderness and Born, Betnardi Golf, Winston Collection, and Forty Four Forty Four Concierge, and Nemecolon. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Thank you, all listeners. Um, 
for, for supporting us, listening to us. If there's anything you don't like or want to see, please be vocal. We love we love a little bit of constructive criticism. That's how we get better. But thank you all again for listening to another episode of Chase and Birdies. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you to Evo and his team at Simpler Media and Rachel London for her social media professionalism. Y'all See have it a good high day, and let it fly. Yeah, rip it. <laughs>